All right, good evening. Great to see you tonight. Uh, I know Brent kind of said I threw a curveball. Actually, it was very strategic. And you're in a two-preacher arrangement like this, you always want to be the guy who goes first because I'm going to preach for about an hour. And by the time he gets ten minutes into it, everybody's going to think, man, would Barry just shut up and we can move on? It's all strategy, folks, here. No, I promise not to do that to you. I won't go more than 50. But thank you. (laughs) Thank you so very much. It's great to see everybody here tonight. I hope you have the Heavenly Library with you. I want you to take down the Gospel of Luke and go to Luke chapter 17. We're going to study a story tonight that I'm fairly confident most of you have heard. Have you ever studied the story of the ten lepers who cried out to Jesus for mercy, and he healed all ten of them, but only one came back to say thank you. Anybody ever heard that story? Well, sure you have. Sure you have. It's a very popular story, and it's a wonderful passage to study if you're looking for a way to show our need to show gratitude to the Father. And so let me just say at the beginning of this lesson, if that's ever how you studied it or you've heard somebody preach it and that's the big point that they take from it, we need to go back to the Lord and we need to say thank you. That is an appropriate lesson to draw from this story. But I want to suggest to you tonight that there might have been a much bigger lesson to learn From this story. Like any story in the Bible, you don't really just begin right there and just start digging into it, right? You need to establish some context. And in this case, we know that our story about the lepers begins in verse 11. But to see the context, let's go back to verse 5. And I want you to hear some dialogue between Jesus and... And his disciples. Now, if you're one of the disciples, wouldn't it have been great to be with Jesus and pick his brain all the time? I mean, wouldn't you have had some great questions? Well, in this particular instance, they ask what I consider to be one of the great questions for any disciple. Here's what they say. And the apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. And Jesus said, if you had faith, Like a grain of mustard seed. You could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea and it would obey you. Now, I bet you've heard that before, too. And you mustard seed faith. Now, I, I can see that and I can certainly understand the disciples. If I'm around Jesus, that would definitely been one of the things that I would have petitioned to the Lord. Lord, increase my faith. In fact, I don't even need to be around Jesus to say that. I I say that all the time in prayer. Lord, help me. Help me to have more faith. These people are really aggravating me over here. Help me to be like you. I need to be a better husband. I need to be a better father. I need to be a better evangelist. I just need to be a better person. Lord, increase my faith. Can you get that? I mean, don't don't you resonate with that? Now, Jesus says, and we get this part, if you had just this much faith, If you had the faith of the mustard seed. I remember being in Bible class when I was a little kid and one of our teachers brought in a mustard seed and she goes, here it is. And we were all like, where is it? Yeah, it's right here on the end of my finger. You know that's the smallest seed, right? And you've heard that. It's the smallest. Well, I get that. Jesus is saying, if you have just this much faith. But then he says this. If you had just this much faith, you could say to a mulberry tree, get up and get out. Now that part I struggle with. Jesus giving us, you know, 
horticulture advice here. Yeah, uh, I, I, I've actually gone and studied this, and I'll, I'll confess, and I've read where some guy said, well, the mulberry tree is one of the big, you know, this, that, and the other, and they really get into it in the sea, and I, and I read it, and I go, that doesn't make any sense in the world to me. Whoever wanted to pluck up a mulberry tree and just throw it into the sea? But I don't think you have to dig into all that meaning to really get the Lord's point, right? It is kind of one of those hyperbole lessons from Jesus, if you will. And his point is really simple. All right, guys, you want more faith. You're asking me to increase your faith. You're living with doubt. I get it. You're struggling with life. I get it. You want more faith. Great. Here's the point. If you have just this much faith, just this much faith, you can do what seems impossible. If you have just this much faith, you trust me just this much, you can do what you thought before was impossible. Verse 11. Luke says, And on the way to Jerusalem, I I love the way Luke writes. It's as if he's saying, It just so happens. It just, as they were on their way, right after this conversation, they were on their way to Jerusalem. And he was passing by along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a visit a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance. And they lifted up their voices saying, Jesus! Jesus! Have mercy on us! And when he saw them, he said to them, Go show yourselves to the priests. Now let's stop right there. This is one of those situations in life that's a little hard for us to grasp, right? We know leprosy, not because we probably have experienced it, but we've read about it. We've studied about it in the Bible. Actually, did you know that leprosy is still a challenge in India? Did you know that? I was actually meeting with a missionary just a month or so ago, and he was telling me how there was a leper colony in the region where he is. I mean, that's hard for us to grasp, especially in modern medicine. But in this day and age, man, that was a big deal. And why are they standing at a distance? Well, you know, lepers weren't allowed to be around everybody else. We know that from a Jewish ceremonial law point of view, They were considered to be unclean. In fact, if you were to go to the book of Leviticus, and we're not going to run over there, but if you go to the book of Leviticus in Leviticus 13, when anybody, when anybody had some sort of skin ailment, all right, and and it could be almost any kind of thing, rash, or or it could be something deadly like serious leprosy, they had to go show themselves to the priest, and the priest would examine them. And if the priest determined, yep, that's leprosy, then they were immediately cast out. They were labeled unclean. And they were made to live with other lepers. 
as outcasts of society. I want you you got to get this into your mind. What if people in our day and age got really sick and we said, oh, too bad, you're done. But because there was such great fear regarding leprosy, they were pretty much done. Now, Leviticus 14 is about, well, what if someday this leper is all of a sudden cleansed? Well, then they're to go to the priest, right? And then they're supposed to go through all this ceremonial cleansing and they go to the priest and the priest will examine them and go, yeah, it looks like it's gone. So you go burn all your clothes. You come back in seven days and if it's really gone, then we're going to start all these sacrifices. There's going to be a sacrifice of lambs. There's going to be a sacrifice of goats. And then literally that person would be covered from head to toe in blood because the blood of the sacrifice would be put on their ear. It would even put down on their toes. It's as if the blood is now cleansing them and therefore they could come back in. So going back to our story, alright? Going back to our story. You have these lepers. Jesus! Hey! Jesus! We've heard all about you. Jesus! Have mercy on us! And Jesus goes, go show yourself to the priest. Can you imagine those guys? Oh, really? I mean, you're not going to spit, you know, and do the old, you know, mud thing in our eye. You're not going to touch us like, you know, it just... Just go show yourself. Really, this is how this is going to work? And they went. And don't you know, every single one of them was going, this is what I wanted to do. I went to the priest the last time. He kicked me out. Now I'm going to go back to him. He's going to bring me back in. This is so great. It doesn't get any easier than this, right? Except one of them was not a Jew. For nine of them, it doesn't get any better than that. Yeah, go to the priest. But one of them is a Samaritan. Now again, this is a little hard for us to grasp. In that culture, Jews hated Samaritans. It was blatant racism. It was blatant hatred. And here's what Josephus actually has in his historical record about the relationship between a Jew and a Gentile. Josephus, the Jewish historian, says that wall in the temple complex, you ever studied the wall that was around, you know, you had the outer court and the inner court. Have you ever studied your temple history? And so you have the temple here and there's the inner court where all the sacrifices are made. But then there was a wall and there was an outer court that was called literally the court of women or the court of Gentiles. And there was a door from the outer to the inner. Josephus says there was actually a sign at the entrance to the inner court that says this, any foreigner who goes beyond this wall will have only himself to blame for his ensuing death. And history tells us the Romans really probably wouldn't even interfere with that so much. If somebody was dumb enough to go beyond the wall, so what? Now think about it. You're dying of a deadly disease. 
And you reach out to the only one who can save you. Jesus, have mercy on me. And he goes, go show yourself to the priest. And all the other guys with you go, yes! And you're like, really? Really? Anybody here one of those kids that when you were growing up, you asked your parents a lot of questions and always wanted explanation? Anybody one of those? I was. I was. Phil, clean your room. Why? I mean, really? I'm the only one in there. Just clean your room? No, I want to And you usually got a spanking because you didn't go, you know what I'm saying? I, I actually became a, a television news reporter. That's what I did before preaching because I, I like to ask questions. Why? You want to raise our taxes? Why? Let me ask you why. Listen to this guy. you got to see this in the story. He's dying of a deadly disease. And the cure that's given to him is really no cure at all. You think a priest is going to see you? Oh, great, you're a Samaritan. Come on in. No. No. Don't you know this guy was saying, Jesus, hey, that's great for my nine friends. That's awesome. Look at me. My name tag says Samaritan. But he doesn't ask questions. He had to be filled with doubt. And while he probably could never take one step in the temple, he could take a step in that direction. Go back to the story. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, Were there not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And Jesus said to him, Rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. I want you to notice, because Luke wants us to see this in a very powerful way, that yes, nine men were healed. In fact, the text tells us that. That's exactly what Jesus says. They were all healed. Not just the nine uh, Jews, but the one Samaritan. They were all healed. The word healed here, if you were to look at it in the Greek and kind of actually do a little word study of it, it's just simply a word that represents the idea of one who is cleansed. Their body was broken. They had an ailment. Now they're well. They are better. But there's another word at the very end of the story that is reserved only for the Samaritan. Nine were cleansed. Only one was made well. Some of your Bibles may actually have a footnote by the word well there. Anybody see it? See it in your Bible? It's the Greek word, and I'm terrible at pronunciation, so all you Greek scholars just have pity on me. Sozo, all right? And some of your Bibles may actually have this footnote in there. Your faith has saved you, right? 
Nine got a healing. They got a physical healing. Hey, they no longer had leprosy. But only one person that day got the true healing. Only one person that day got the true cleansing. Only one person that day was truly made well. And how was he made well? By his faith. By his faith. The question that we posed at the beginning of the lesson is mustard seed faith. Well, how big is mustard seed faith? Lord, increase my faith. I want to have just mustard seed faith so that I can do great things. So that wonderful things can come about for my life in serving you. What does it look like? How does it happen? What does it pertain? This is it. Because it just so happened. Jesus says, look at this guy. If you're a note taker, I want to give you three things, three things real quickly that define mustard seed faith. Three things that come straight from this story of saving faith. And you see it right here in this amazing Samaritan who threw himself at the mercy of Jesus. Number one, number one, mustard seed faith says, I'm hopeless without the mercy of Jesus. I am hopeless without the mercy of Jesus. Listen to his words. Jesus, have mercy on me. Anybody here ever had the flu? No, wait a minute. For you answer, for you answer, I've had the flu. And every now and then I'll run into somebody who'll come up to me and they'll have those sniffles going on and they'll start sneezing. I said, hey, you okay? Oh, I think I got a touch of the flu. No, you don't. <laughs> no, I've had the flu, man. I've had the flu. I know now how it kills me. Man, for a whole week, I was 155 degree temperature. I was laid out. You know how husbands are big complainers and moaners? I was the world's worst that week because I had the flu. And it kind of just irritates me. And somebody goes, yeah, I got to touch it. No, you don't. You've got the sniffles, man. That's the sniffles. If you're still vertical, it's the sniffles. <laughs> just embrace it. I'm getting serious. become kind of vogue in our society to go, you know, I'm a sinner. But somebody who really knows they're a sinner is falling on their face. They beat their breast saying, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. A few years ago, I was really working with a young adult who had a lot of struggles in his life and I was constantly trying to reach out to him and his parents were saying, Phil, you know, Mr. Phil, you, you can you can maybe make a touch with him. And so I would try and try and try and, and we'd have lunch or we'd hang out together and everything. And it was just, you could just tell he's not getting it. He's not getting it. He's gotten to get it. And he would, he would be so grateful, but he would still go back to his life that was so, so treacherous and so challenging to his faith. And, and until one day after he and I had lost touch for months, I, I got a call from his mom. And she was hysterical. And she goes, Phil, Kevin's been in a horrible accident. And he's asking for you. And so immediately I dropped everything and I went racing up to the hospital. And I really wasn't prepared for what I was going to see when I came in that room. I knew it was a bad accident. It was on a motorcycle. But when I got into that room and I saw him, I realized how bad it was. 
He was literally in cats, in traction, with a trick. All the machines are beeping. But as soon as I walked to the doorway of that room, he saw me. And he just immediately started doing this. That's all he could move was his fingers. And I came over to him. I said, Kevin, oh, brother, I am so sorry. And he's just still doing this. And he was wanting me to get down closer. And as I leaned down, he said, pray for me. Pray for me. I don't want to go to hell. Pray for me. Tears started just flowing. For the first time in his life, he felt helpless. And it was only because he felt helpless that he now finally had the true desire to come to this world. And oh, did we pray. Folks, we got to see this and grasp it. Because the challenge for many of us is we grew up in the church, right? We grew up being good church folks. We're good Americans or we're good whatever. We're not like evil men in the world. And sometimes we fail to see we have leprosy of the heart. And only when we realize and humble ourselves to cry out to the Lord for mercy can we truly be a candidate for his salvation? A few years ago, a dear friend of mine was studying with a fellow. But let's just say he lived an ornery life. But he had a godly wife. And one day he heard the words, cancer. Lung cancer. He smoked, and he smoked, and he smoked. He drank, he drank, and he drank, and eventually it caught up to him. And so a dear friend of mine was going and studying with him and spending time with him. And Billy, Billy finally said, I know what I need to do. I need to be baptized. I know that. And so my friend said, then let's go. And Billy just started crying and said, I can't. Here it is, the 11th hour of my life. And I've known this for a long time. How in the world can I come to my Lord now when I have nothing to give? How can I come to Him? My friend, who's a true man of God, just smiled and reached down and grabbed his hand and said, Yes, now you're ready. Because the fact of the matter is, none of us can really give the Lord anything. 
power of grace. So please understand that when Jesus is sharing this story with his disciples and Luke says, and it just so happened, this is the guy who is a candidate for increased faith. Faith begins with number one, recognizing I am helpless without the mercy of God. In Ephesians 2 verse 4, Paul says it like this, but God, after describing us in our wretched state, But God, who is rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Number two. What does mustard seed faith say? I will obey Jesus no matter what. I will obey Jesus no matter what. No excuses, no substitutions, no hesitation. I don't know if you and I can really grasp what this dude was going through. I don't know if you and I can truly fathom what it was like for this guy when Jesus says, Here's the cure! Go to the priest! Really? And and did Jesus say, On the way you're going to be healed? He never said that. He never said that. Can you imagine what was going on in the heart of this man as he went, go to the priest. Everybody else about him is so excited. They're jumping up and down. And he's going, oh man, I, I don't know about this. I ain't. But he went, folks. He went. I want you to hear something because this is very important. And it doesn't matter where you are in your walk of faith. Our Lord, when He asks us to obey Him, never gives us a prerequisite such as, obey me when you understand what I mean by it. Obey me when you figured out why it's so important. Obey me when you have the theological understanding of what I'm saying. He never does that. In fact, faith demands we go without understanding, right? Faith walks not by sight. And so there is an element, there is an element in our life when we need to understand we don't have all the answers. I was actually uh, studying with a a couple once. My wife laughs about this because every now and then somebody comes to me for marriage counseling. And she goes, really? (laughs) (laughs) I'd love to hear what you have to say. Okay, 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 all right. I, I had this one couple one year, all right. And they were having financial problems, all right? I'm not a financial guru. I do know good money management. My daughter actually works for Dave Ramsey, so I should know something. But, but, but I, I said, hey, 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 I got a good friend. I got a good friend. I want you to go to him because he's a financial just genius. You go to Lee. Lee's going to set you up. He'll take care of you. He'll see you for free. He'll get you. I said, hey, great. So they went over and they saw Lee. And the next week they came back to me. And I said, whoa, how did he go? Man, this is great. I'm sure Lee solved all your problems. What did, hey, hey. And they went, mm, thanks for the offer to go to Lee. But he really doesn't get us. Like, what? Uh, he doesn't understand our situation. I said, what? Yeah, Lee told us to sell this, get rid of this, don't be buying this, stop going to this, stop eating at this. He doesn't understand what we need. I was like, hmm, 
I'm so glad the Lord was with me that day that I didn't say everything that was going on in my mind. I said, hmm. But the Spirit did hit me with this line. Okay. Did it ever cross your mind it was your own thinking that got you into the mess? Why do you think your own thinking is going to get you out? We're putting our heart and our mind and our soul in the confidence of what our Lord tells us to do. In Acts chapter 2 and in verse 37, there were people crying out for mercy. What do we do? What do we do? Just like this leper and the others, what do we do? What do we do? And Peter said, repent. Repent. And let every one of you be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins so that you may receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then in verse 39, they went, baptism? Really? No, I didn't say that. And I'm, forgive my sarcasm. I'm just trying to make a point. They didn't argue it. They did it. Let me take that a step further. Husbands, love your wives as much as Jesus loves the church. Do it. Don't question it. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Do it. Don't question it. Children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Do it. Don't question it. Pure and undefiled religion before the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their time of trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. Do it. Don't question it. Every single one of us, regardless of where we are in our walk of faith, are questioning the Lord about something. Maybe it's loving your enemies when you're going, Jesus, but you don't understand what these people are like. You don't understand what they've done to me. You don't understand what they're saying about me. Bless them. Let your speech always be with grace. Because mustard seed faith obeys. Now, if you would please, go back to our text. I don't know if y'all caught this or not. Maybe you did. Did anybody notice I skipped some verses in this story? Did anybody catch that? Wait a minute. Wait a minute, Mr. Context. You jumped. Well, I want you to go back and I want you to notice something now because this is very, very, very important. All right? I want you to notice. I want you to notice as Jesus went on to describe mustard seed faith. Here's what he says in verse 7. All right? Will any one of you. Who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him when he's come in from the field, Come at once, recline at the table. No. Will he not rather say to him, Prepare supper for me and dress properly and serve me while I eat and drink and afterward you can go eat and drink. Does he thank the servant because he's done what he was commanded to do? 
So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, you say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. I want you to see this because this is a very important point. We live in a religious world which thinks that if we do anything in respect to our salvation, that we're claiming we earn our salvation. If you believe you need to obey the Lord as part of the salvation process, then what you're doing is you're taking grace and you're throwing it out the window, you're taking faith and you're totally redefining it, and it is no longer salvation in the Lord. Notice what Jesus said. Even when you obey me and you've done exactly what I've asked you to do, you're still a what? You're still an unworthy servant. And he's not trying to put us in our place. He's simply reminding us, you still are saved by me. I, I, think of it like this. Let's say you're that leper. All right? You're going, oh my word, what am I going to do? How's this going to play out? I've got to go to the precinct. You go, oh, I'm saved. Oh, this is great. And you immediately run off to your friends and your friends go, hey, you're looking good. What happened? I just one day decided to go to the priest and this just happened. Well, no. Noah. Is that not a great story? Y'all ever studied Noah? He might know how long it took him to build the ark. A hundred years. That's exactly how long it takes me to change a light bulb. But nonetheless, I can imagine what it was like. A hundred years building the ark. And then he, he saves his family. And then he saves all the animals. And he gets off the ark and he goes, Alright boys, you owe me one. I built a pretty good ark. No, he didn't. What did he do? He fell down and praised God. Even though a hundred years he obeyed the Lord. He still knew he was saved by grace. Just because you obey the Lord, you're not throwing grace and mercy out the window. In other words, what Jesus is saying, this is what faith does. Faith obeys. You cannot separate obedience from faith. And it's not that you've earned anything by your own merit. You've simply done what you were told to do. And then number three. What is mustard seed faith? Lord, increase my faith. Here's the third thing, and this is so important. You constantly glorify and praise your Lord. Look, if you would, back to verse 15. Uh, This is one of those things which I'm sure was quite the scene. And when this guy... When this guy realized he was healed, notice what it says, and this is what Luke says. He turned back when he saw that he was healed, and he was praising God how? How was he praising God? No, what does it say? He had a loud voice. Don't you know this is one of those situations where here this guy just comes back and he's hysterical. Oh, this is crazy. And the disciples are going, would you knock it down? Man, you're embarrassing us. Let's slow down. And this guy just can't let it go. He can't let it go. He's so excited. Uh, a few years ago, a few years ago, I had the opportunity. I was doing a little side hustle work. And so I was doing some interviews. And I had to go out of town to do some interviews for some news stories working for a station. And, and it was going to be on a Wednesday night. All right. And so uh, I know, okay, we're going to be running a little late, but this was back before we had Apple Maps, all right? Do y'all remember when you would go on the internet and you would look up MapQuest? Y'all remember that? All right, back in the, back in the olden days where it was dialogue. 
All right, so that's what I had to do because I knew I was going to be out of town. And man, I, was gonna, I need to find a church. I didn't know where a church was. It's a Wednesday night. And so I looked it up and I had three sheets of MapQuest. Turn here, do this, that there. Remember that? And you printed it all out? Okay, so I jump in my car and, and it, it's about 7.30 when I get in the car. Wednesday night. Yeah, I know. And you start turning and turning and turning and following and following. And, and does anybody remember those? Were they always right? No. No. And so it's about 8.05. And I'm like, ah, the Lord knows I tried. But then I couldn't help but think, when I get back home, I've got a three-year-old and a five-year-old. And the first thing they're going to ask Dad is, Dad, where'd you go to church? So I kept looking and I found it about 8.10. And so I, I go into church. You ever been into a church, especially on a Wednesday night, and you hope there's an auditorium class, but it's empty? You're like, oh, man, no auditorium class? And so I had to make a decision. Okay, do I stay in here in the auditorium? Everybody's going to come out in the moment. They're going to, dude, why are you out here not with everybody else? Or do I go and try? So I, okay, I'm going to go. I'm going to go try to find them. And then so I started working down the hallway, and, and, I, and I looked in the first adult class I could be, and, and guess where the front of the room was? Right there. Why can't the doors be to the back of the room? So here's the guy. Here's the guy right here by the lectern, and I go, Hey! What? Y'all don't start at 8.15? What kind of church is this? And everybody just looks at you. You know? As soon as I set down the bell rang. <laughs> I kid you not. And everybody walked out of the class and didn't say a word to me. I guess, you know, I'm the heathen coming in real late. I, I made my way out, you know, to the foyer and just trying to be friendly. Nobody... Nobody even said any word. I was like, okay, yeah. That's all. I, I just made my way in the auditorium and I had a seat. And I was like, why did I do this? You ever been to a church on a Wednesday night where the guy giving the Wednesday night invitation just found out he had it? It was that night. <laughs> and so you see everybody, you know, feeling around. And I literally, I literally thought to myself, why am I here? These people don't care. Nobody's even asked my name. But when the invitation was given, a young lady came forward. And she was a college student who nobody in her family believed in the Lord, but she was ready to obey Him. And I couldn't help but think to myself, wow, I'd have missed this. So they sent her back this way, and then the guy went this way, and then the guy who just found out he was supposed to lead singing flipping around going what are you singing what are you singing and oh oh happy day right that's the song you're supposed to sing have you ever heard it sung not very happy <laughs> oh happy day oh happy day I was sitting there going oh this place is amazing and you I literally saw people looking at their watches like this is taking I, it was just bugging me I was just bugging me But when I saw him take her down and bring her out of the water, I couldn't hold it in any longer. It was dead silence in that place, but I couldn't help it. I went, Amen, Hallelujah! And that was the first time they realized they had a visitor. <laughs> and then everybody turns back looking at me, and I'm like, Hey, it was a baptism! Yay! Oh, yo, I'm 
sorry. And then afterwards, everybody came up asking my name. And I went, oh, yeah, the name's Kerchable, Brent Kerchable. Oh, 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 hey. But folks, when, when, when did we lose our enthusiasm for the Lord that we couldn't celebrate? When, when do we lose our enthusiasm to share with the world, I believe in God and we're willing to praise Him? May we never be the people that keep it inside. And may we always be the people who feel exactly like this man did. I can't believe what's happened. I've been made well. And I'm going to glorify my God. One more point. Mustard seed faith. I'm hopeless. But He has mercy. I'm going to obey Him. I don't need all the answers just yet. Boy, why wouldn't I glorify him? Where did Jesus tell this man to go? Go to the priest, right? Did he make it? Did he obey Jesus? In Hebrews chapter 4, In Hebrews chapter 4 and in verses 14 and following, the Hebrew writer finishes the story. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted As we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. I propose to you, he not only went to the priest, he went. To the priest. The same priest. That we're being asked now. To go to. Lord Jesus have mercy on me. Go to the priest. Come to me. When the disciples left this story. I can only imagine they looked at each other and they went, mulberry tree, mustard seed. I get it. Jesus, increase my faith. Thank you all very much for your kind attention. Think about eating a break.